I just want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I just want to have the means necessary and the time necessary to make all that happen when I want it to happen. Plan to fail so you won't. Production will solve all your problems. Some will, some won't. Stop whining, so what? Just hit your weekly production goal. The weekend starts now. Our podcast this week is with Ken Munkin. Ken lives in a small southwestern Illinois town, population about 2,600, with his wife Jennifer and their dog Gidget, all three of which are big St. Louis Cardinals fans. His hobbies, including reading and listening to sales books and biographies of business leaders. The knowledge gained is put to use in making awesome trades in his fantasy baseball league, local political discussions, he is on the ballot for county board in 2018, and occasionally making life insurance and Medicare supplement sales. To fulfill the need for physical torture, Ken has been involved in CrossFit for almost four years. Welcome, Ken Munkin. Good morning and welcome. Uh, thanks for doing this with us. Um, just start out, what did you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> you know, I haven't had breakfast yet, which is a really bad thing to say because I know it's supposed to be the most important meal of the day, but um, I, was, I, I, I just wanted to concentrate on talking to you guys. Awesome. Do you have any other, um, like, on a regular day, any morning routines or morning rituals that are um, important every day? It kind of depends on the day. It depends on if I'm working that day, if I'm not working that day. I generally stay away from, uh, I know you guys like to do CrossFit sometimes in the morning, and I've tried to work out in the morning, and I don't like to get up and go work out at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, so I do all that stuff in the evening if I can. So for me, I don't really have a routine in the morning. Just uh, I kind of have a checklist in my mind of things that need to get done that day and uh, just to start with task number one and, and go from there. Very good. So um, if you're, you know, at a cocktail party or something like that and you or you run into somebody at the store and they say, hey, Ken, how's it going? Um, what do you do anyway? <laughs> How do you respond to that? You know, it, for the longest time, um, friends and relatives of mine would ask me that every time they would see me because – until Jim Mall and Final Expense came along, about every other month it was something new. So they'd be like, so what you doing this month? What you doing this month? Where are you working now? Because I jumped around a lot to find something that um, I could stick with. Uh, and now when people ask me that, uh, I, I basically have narrowed it down to uh, I sell life insurance, and I just kind of leave it at that. People a lot of times don't really get the final expense thing or burial insurance. Sometimes I would say burial insurance, and they understand that. But now I just say, and I used to say insurance, uh, and then they would ask about, oh, uh, well, my car insurance is this, or my homeowners is this. Who do you work with? Who do you work for? And I, I didn't want those questions, so now I just kind of say I do. I concentrate just on life insurance. What were some of those other things that you were bouncing around uh, on before, uh, before the final expense? How much time you got? <laughs> uh, gosh. Well, let's go back to I started. Um, my first job was the new uh, bowling center that opened in our area, and uh, that was when I was still in high school. But then once I got through school and all of that, what have I done? I've 
I've driven a soda truck. I've worked for another soda company as a sales rep. Worked at a radio station for about seven years. Uh, I sold. Well, I sold insurance uh, in one form or another. I started with a company called American Income Life. That lasted for a very short time, and I pretty much went broke. No, no, maybe I shouldn't. I hope they don't sue me, but it, it happened. Um, then I worked for another sort of a final expense company for about a year, and that was not going well. Um, I sold. I got involved with a, a guy that was selling frozen meals door-to-door, basically, and he would sell a freezer. You would, you'd sell them a freezer, put in their freezer or the garage or somewhere, and then you would sign them up for this monthly food delivery um, where they would get a certain amount of meat and a certain amount of vegetables and a certain amount of fruit. It was all frozen stuff, and you'd actually come in and you'd pack their freezer with it. I think that lasted maybe three months, and I made one sale, so that wasn't good. Um, what else have I done? I don't know. I try to put some of that stuff out of my mind. It, it was so horrific and, and quite a while ago. But I've, I have bounced around doing quite a bit of crazy stuff that really didn't amount to a whole lot. Ken, why, why feel, um, what, what made you bounce around like that? What were you looking for? You know, I've asked myself that a lot. Um, it, it's, it's just like I don't exactly know how to explain it. When I found the final expense that I'm in now that was taught by you when I learned the, the gym mall system, I knew that was it. It was something that I could follow, and it made sense. All the other stuff, like when I worked um, worked as a sales rep for Pepsi, but and it was a it was a decent enough job, but I just had no freedom. I mean, I wanted to go in and, and try to make deals as far as to try to get more ad space in, in newspapers. And, and I was trying to do this kind of stuff, and then my boss would say, no, 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 well, that's all taken care of at corporate. Don't worry, you just do what you're told to do. And like, well, that's, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life, being told what to do every day. So, you know, that, things like that where it's just – I mean, everybody kind of – I think there's a, a part of them that wants to be their own boss, but it's kind of scary – but I just knew all those other jobs that I didn't want to uh, have to follow the rules. And not that I'm not a, a rule follower, but there were things that I could see in almost every job, or at least I thought I could, I, I, and I believe that, but I could see that they could do better. Like I had ideas about, okay, if we did this this way, it would improve something. And they're like, well, that's not how we do it. And, and that happened in almost every job that I was in. I would, as I would get into it, and, and it seemed like once I would do a job or, or get hired somewhere, I would really just go all in. I would try to figure out, okay, what are we doing here? What have we done in the past? What can make this better? And, and nobody was interested in it. They, they didn't care because it was just, hey, I'm, I'm showing up in the morning. I'm doing what they tell me to do. And I'm leaving at night, and, and that's all we care about. And I was trying to figure out ways to do things better. And, then when I got to this, uh, I, I learned Jim's system, and, I'm, and I did the same thing. I'm, I'm going through, I'm thinking, okay, how can I improve this? How can I improve this? And I couldn't because it's, it's better than I could have come up with myself. So that's sort of when I knew, all right, I've got something here that I couldn't improve on if I tried. So all I have to do is follow the steps, and it's going to work. 
where every place else, if I followed their steps, it, it wouldn't lead to what I wanted it to lead to. And now with this, it does. I don't know. That's a long answer, but I hope it, it made somewhat of uh, some sense. No, it, it's a great answer because I, I think many people that will listen to this have been through or been down that same road. Um, now, I'm going to take you back a few steps because you didn't really mention. Did you go to college? Um, I attended and sat in chairs for about a year, and uh, that was the extent of that. Did you not? I mean, was there just nothing that jumped out at you to say, "Oh, I want to pursue this"? Or what? What? What kept you? I mean, because you know, you're you're a few years younger than I am, um, and our parents yeah, quite, a, quite a few. Uh, our parents told us, you know, hey, you need to go to college and get a degree. You need to get a, you exactly. know, if you're going to get a good job, you have to have that diploma. Obviously, you don't have one, and neither do I. No, no, and and uh, you're right. That's why I went to college because my parent, neither one of my parents went to college. Um, I don't think, in fact, I'm sure none of my uh, my father's siblings went to college, and I think my mother was from a family of 13, and I think maybe only one of them went to college. So it was very important for my mom and dad, and they didn't have, you know, growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of money, but they saved and saved because they wanted me to go to college. Well, the one thing I was really interested in was meteorology. I loved the weather and all about the weather from the time I was in, in grade school. So I thought, well, if I'm going to go to college, I would really like to get a degree in meteorology. I think that would be a, a fun career. It's changing all the time. Uh, the weather, you know, it's all this different climate and all this. Well, then I got to college, and, and you have to, you know, you have to take all the other classes first, and that was just boring. I did, I wanted to jump right in. Well, then I found out. I went to a couple of uh, meetings and found out to be a meteorologist, you have to be proficient in physics and all kinds of science, and I got to looking at that and honestly had to say, you know, you're not smart enough for this. This is not going to work for you. Um, but what I did like to do was talk to people or, or be, I used to, when I was little, I had a, a tape recorder and I would do my own radio shows and such. And I thought that was fun. I broadcast baseball games off of TV and I had little board baseball games and I'd announce those to myself in my tape recorder. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go to school to learn radio. So I did. I went to kind of a vocational school that taught uh, radio, taught radio sales and taught radio on-air stuff. And it taught um, kind of the behind-the-scenes working the board and, and things. And I went to school, and I, I graduated, which you got a certificate. It wasn't actually a degree. But it was about a year and a half school. And I went to that, went to that graduated, and then got a job at a radio station and uh, worked that until – and there just wasn't a lot of money. I worked that until uh, shortly after I got married, and then I got a job that um, was Pepsi, actually, the, the pay more. It just wasn't very much fun. So you – excuse me. You did have a – some jobs that were kind of steady pay, normal nine to five stuff that um, we're not used to anymore. But um, what drove you to uh, kind of leave that and um, tell us a story of, of how you got here to doing final expense? Well, I started, I, um, somebody told me about insurance. So my, one of my uncles sold insurance for, uh, AAL, Aid Association for Lutheran, back in the day. I think it's thriving now. Uh, and he sold um, every relative. Like I said, my mom was from a family of 13, so he had a lot of, of aunts and uncles and cousins and, and uh, in-laws and such. So, And he was the insurance man for all those people. And I knew that with insurance there was uh, sort of a, a retirement 
ish kind of thing through renewals and whatever. They didn't really understand it, but um, I kind of was interested in that early on just because of um, he always seemed, when he would come to our house to talk about policies and such, I just found it interesting. Even when I, you know, I was 10, 12 years old, I just would sit there and listen and thought, this is kind of an interesting thing. Um, so I saw an ad in the newspaper in 2004 from a company that um, was looking for insurance sales. And I thought, well, that'd be kind of interesting. And then they gave you some pie-in-the-sky, uh, you know, you can, you'll make $70,000 of stuff. And, well, heck, I never made more than, than $1,000. Um, and that was actually my last job before selling insurance, which I didn't mention. I, I worked for a small company here in um, I live in Trenton, uh, Illinois, which is about 3,000 people. And there's a, a guy here that's uh, kind of an entrepreneur, started his own company maybe 20 years ago, and, and he sells stuff to convenience stores, lighters and slim gyms and just all kinds of stuff. And I worked for him for four years, and uh, I was doing that when I saw an ad in the paper about insurance. And I was, at that time with this guy, I was making right about thirty-eight or $39,000 a year. And for where we live and our lifestyle and such, um, that was okay. I mean, I, I was happy with that. It was a pretty... You didn't have to do a lot of thinking. You'd show up in the morning, you'd load your truck, you'd, you'd drive around to do your route, you'd be done in the afternoon about 3 or 4 o'clock, and you'd lock your truck and you'd come home. And I'm about five minutes from where that place is, so I was home relatively early. And it was it was a nice – it was nice. I mean, I, I could have probably still been doing that, except I saw this chance to get into insurance, which I always had thought about, and uh, it, it was a complete disaster. There, were, there was no training, no anything to, it was just they they were not truthful. So while I was doing that, I was look. I thought, well, I have my insurance license now. I spent a bunch of money to get that. I'm not going to waste it. It's good for another uh, couple years or a year and a half at that point. So I found I saw another ad in the paper from another final expense company, a nationwide final expense company, and I called them and said, hey, I'm interested in uh, your your employment opportunity and it was pretty much okay well you have a pulse and you have a license come on over you're hired so i did i jumped to that i was with them about a year and i learned i learned about final expense but i did not have a system i had to pay from from day one i had to pay for leads that they didn't teach me what to do with i just gave them money that i really didn't have but i had to spend because i said well you can't work without leads so you got to give us money so i gave them the money and they gave me these leads and didn't really teach me how to call them, how to go door knock them, what to say. They gave me a rate card, and uh, that was about it. They said, okay, we'll go talk to these people and sell them insurance. And I stuck it out for a year, um, and I made an, enough money to survive. And I, I got I, – I liked the fact I could set my own hours. I could sort of sort of be my, my own schedule maker and own boss, although I kind of – I had to report to these guys couple times a week, you know, where you at, how many people have you seen, and that kind of stuff. So they were they were a little bit more strict on, I guess they just didn't trust me to be out there by myself, which I can understand why. But um, I, I liked the job. I just didn't like the job there. And um, a guy that I had worked with there who, who had showed up as an agent uh, got told me about Jim Mall. And this was after I had quit. I quit in December, and then from January to June – I, that's when I was selling these frozen meat things off and on and whatever, frozen foods and such. 
And the guy called me and said, hey, you need to get back into the business, and I'll tell you who you need to get back into it with, this guy, Jim Moe. And I, and I told him at that point, I said, I'm done. I've tried it with two companies. I like the idea of doing it, but I can't afford to continue to throw money away and not make very much money. I, it, I, it's just not going to work for me. And he said, give it a shot. Meet this guy. Listen to how he does it. And then I'll never, I'll never tell you about it again. And I said, all right, I'll do it. So I went um, to a seminar that Jim was doing in June of 06. And uh, I thought, you know what? This makes a whole lot of sense. I'm going to give it a try, at least until my license runs out. And then if I, if I don't like it and I won't renew my license, I'll go. I could have probably went back to the job I was doing before with the convenience stores. I think the guy had given me a job back. And uh, I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. So I thought, I I'll give it a little time. And that was, you know, 11-plus years ago or so, and um, still here. That's perfect. Um, and it leads right into my next question, too. But uh, when did you realize um, that this was it, like this will work and I'll be able to do this? Was it right away at that seminar, or did you give it six months and say, hey, it's working? How did that play out? I kind of convinced myself at the seminar it took me much longer to convince my wife because she saw what I had gone through with the other two uh, insurance opportunities, and she's like, you know, this is probably not a whole lot different, but if you want to give it a shot for a little while. So I said, oh, all right, let me give it a few months. Um, but I pretty much convinced myself at that seminar because I, it's just something about um, – the people that were there, I kind of clicked with some of the people, and they seemed like just everyday normal people, certainly not uh, geniuses, certainly not um, all super uh, good-looking young people. It was just normal normal people that would get up and tell their story about how many sales they were making, how much money they were making, how many people they were helping. And they were all following the system, and I, I could follow the system. I mean, in my mind, as I was hearing it, I'm like, I can do this. So I kind of convinced myself right there. Um, but, but what I didn't didn't know yet, because of the sort of bad experience I had in the previous two chances of this, I didn't know if I could trust the people at the top, because that's, um, that's kind of in this business, there are – some people that um, are, are running the show different places that you just wonder, do they have your best interest at heart? Do they really care if you succeed? Um, or do they just want you to come in, make some money for them, and then if you quit, well, they'll find somebody else to come right on in, and they'll keep making their overrides. And um, So I kind of had to feel that out for a while. And it didn't take me long uh, to realize this was much different than, than the other places and uh, I had full faith and confidence in, in the people running the organization and in Jim to, you know, to be there. If I had a question, I could call him. He was always helpful, and uh, it just – that's kind of what I knew. When I got out in the field a, a month or two later and started selling uh, with, with Jim's system and, and uh, Jim's uh, whole setup, that it was going to work. So I, I kind of knew it at the seminar, but I really knew it after I got into it a few months and, and things were starting to work. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. What uh, We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit, but uh, what was your childhood like? What did your parents do? Well, I was an only child, and I was certainly spoiled. Um, not 
monetarily because we just didn't have a lot of money, but I was spoiled time-wise. Um, I played Little League, and my mom was in the stands, and my dad was either in the stands or coaching, and, and I, so they were always around. I got into bowling leagues uh, when I was, I think, eight years old. I started bowling in leagues, and that was Saturday morning leagues when you were kids. And either one or two, um, or one or both of my parents were there all the time watching that. And, um, my dad was a maintenance supervisor at uh, the Wall Street Journal um, place about nine miles from where I live now. It was about five miles from where I grew up. Um, they had a, uh, a plant there that printed the Wall Street Journal for the Midwest, and he was a maintenance supervisor there. And um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom when I was young, and then she started, uh, I guess she started her own business, I would say. She started uh, painting wallpaper and painting, and just sort of word of mouth, it got around, and um, she was really, really, really busy for a lot of years. A lot of people, I mean, they would, she would have waiting lists of months and months and months of people that wanted her to come in and hang their wallpaper and do stuff, so she did that, and I helped. I helped when I was in uh, high school. Uh, I would help her on days off and sometimes um, on Saturdays if she had to go do a job in the morning or something, I'd go and I'd measure and cut the wallpaper and paste it for her to kind of help it along and, and make a little extra money. Cool. You uh, you mentioned bowling at a young age, uh, and then you were a professional bowler, right? Um, how did you get involved with professional bowling? I was a, uh, a geeky kid where where other kids were uh, were, were knowing uh, like all the stats of the major league baseball players and the NFL players and some of the NBA players and such. I I just fell in love with bowl, professional bowling. I mean, I knew the pro bowlers back then, uh, where they're from and what how well they were doing, and, and you know, I was just really a, a bowling geek from from early on. And I just it was something that I. I was just naturally pretty good at. Um, I'd love to do it. I, I practiced quite a bit. Um, I would love to have been a major league baseball player. That would have been my dream, but I, you know, I, I wasn't that talented. But in bowling, I was good enough to, to start improving, and then by the time I got out of high school and into men's league bowling around here, um, I just started having the highest average of, of anybody around and just sort of, you know, rose to the top of that, just because of I, I it, it's just something I could do. I can't really explain it. You can either do stuff or you can't, I guess. And um, I, I just could do it. So I thought, well, after, well, you know, you once you're kind of the best in your town, then you sort of branch out to your surrounding areas and you bowl some tournaments. And then if you win those, then you kind of keep going up the ladder until you get to the very top, uh, which back then was and still is the what we call the National Pro Bowling Tour. But then right under that, they have, for guys that uh, work, have a full-time job, they have weekend tournaments that they call regional professional bowling tournaments. And I bowled quite a bit of those back in the late 80s and early 90s, and I bowled some of the national uh, events. It never really um, succeeded to the level I wanted to. You find out you can be really, really good, but there are, um, you know, there are 50 people from, uh, around the country that are twice as good. I mean, it's just amazing. No matter how you are, how good you are at any sport, I guess, or any athletic event, you're going to find out when you go to bigger and bigger and bigger events that um, there are a lot of people at your level or above. And that's what I finally found out. It was a lot of fun. 
but um, it wasn't something I did on a real full-time basis simply because I just, you know, just my, my skill level ran out uh, as I got to those higher levels. Did you ever have a coach or a mentor or anything, or was this just all self-taught? It was pretty much self-taught. Um, I mean, I had people helping me. You know, when I was younger, my, my parents would help, and other like people that ran the bowling alleys back then would, you know, they, they see that you're kind of passionate about it, and you're pretty good, so they, they throw in their two cents here and there. But um, I pretty much was self-taught, um, you know, so I, I did that. I bowled a lot um, when I was in my 20s and, and even into my 30s. I was bowling leagues, you know, sometimes in four and five leagues in a week, Um because I just, I just loved to do it, and I was, you know, pretty good at it. And, you know, you never know. You bowl a few 300 games or something. And, and back then, it was a little different. Now, the, with the technology of the bowling balls and the pins and the lanes and the oiling machines and such are so much better. The scores are just out of sight. Um, I mean, you have, you know, 10-year-old kids bowling 300s now, and uh, it, it's just different than it was back then. But, um, and I don't do it anymore. I guess I just burned myself out from doing it so much. Uh, a couple years ago, they does um, – Fortunate enough, they elected me into the um, Association Hall of Fame in this area. So um, that's, you know, I was kind of proud of that. Uh, at least all my, my bowling and, I guess, hard work and, and such over the years. It, it, you know, I have some plaques on my wall now that say I'm a, a Hall of Famer. I don't think I'll ever be a Hall of Famer in anything else. So that was kind of fun. Throughout those, uh, the years of, um, during the professional tour and stuff, did you ever get to run into any of those uh, guys that you had their stats memorized or any of your heroes? Yeah, I did. And, in fact, um, became friends with some uh, where we would keep in touch. It was harder. Like, when I was when I was doing this, there really was, there wasn't an Internet. You know, you couldn't really email anybody. You, nobody had cell phones. You had nobody. There was no Facebook. Um, so it was harder. You know, people would give you, like, here's my whole number. <laughs> give me a call. Uh, there was you know, a lot of that is how we did it. But um, when I was at, at the uh, radio station I worked at, I actually started a show. It was a bowling show. I sold the advertising to the the local bowling centers around here, and I would do some of the local scores um, from the various leagues. That the, the Oh, there's maybe 10 bowling alleys within a 50-mile radius. So I would uh, go, and they would buy advertising, and then I would put their scores on and if somebody bowled a 300, I would interview them. But I did, uh, a, with that show, I did a segment on the professional bowling tour. And uh, the media guys at the PVA and I became good friends where they would get, during a tournament or something, um, I would be able to uh, interview the, the people that were doing well that week in the tournament and some of the, the real big names. You know, the Dick Webbers and such back then, uh, they would get those guys for me to, to do interviews. So that's where I met a lot of them, just by interviewing them and then traveling to, to events, you know, talking to them in person when I wasn't bowling, just as a sort of as a journalist or something. And we sold advertising on a um, – there was a professional bowling event, a big event. It was on TV. It was in St. Louis back in maybe the early 90s. Um, and I did it on the radio. I actually broadcast bowling on the radio live while they were doing it. It was on, I think, ABC TV back then, but I was doing it on the radio. And um, it actually worked out pretty well. I thought it was kind of a goofy idea. You know, who wants to listen to a bowling tournament on the radio? But I had a lot of people that called the radio station and actually sent letters, which is, I guess, what people did back then, 
um, and said, you know, we were in the car and we couldn't watch it on TV, but we're so glad that you broadcast it. And so I don't know through the through the radio thing, I got to got to meet and talk to a lot of um, those guys, and I had their stats and such. So, so I'm pretty fortunate along those lines. I don't know too many of them anymore. Uh, all those guys are long retired or dead by now. But um, but yeah, it was fun. Around what year was this? This was I worked at the radio station from like early '88 to around 1995. So this would have been in, in that time frame. Okay. If um, if I started bowling and and got pretty excited about it and passionate about it and wanted to get really serious about it, you know, where should I start? What should I be doing? Or what should I avoid and definitely not do? If you. Um, you know, anymore, there are a lot, it's a, it's a big college thing now. There are a lot of colleges that offer bowling scholarships. Um, a friend of ours went to Vanderbilt on a bowling scholarship. She is uh, currently on the, the women's pro tour. Um, but I mean, schools like Vanderbilt, which, you know, you got to be pretty smart to get in and, um, they're doing bowling scholarships. So for kids now, and high schools have bowling programs, a lot of them now, which back when I was in high school, that, that wasn't even thought of. And you couldn't get a bowling scholarship to a college, uh, I don't think, back then. So things have really evolved now where younger people, uh, high schoolers and, and grade schoolers, are really getting into bowling. So um, from that standpoint, if you're that age, there are a lot of opportunities now. I mean, you can you know get your pay for by being a, a good bowler now where you, know, you couldn't be for so. That's what I would recommend on for somebody young, uh, not that you're that young, Parker, but if somebody in, their, in grade school or in high school, that's what I would say. Bowl in high school, uh, if you're passionate about it and if you're talented, you know, seek out a, a college and, um, and heck, they'll, they'll seek you out if you're, uh, you know, if you're well-known enough. So it's, um, it's a pretty good opportunity now where it didn't used to be. So things are, are getting better. Hmm, that's cool. I would have had no idea. In your mind, who's the most successful person you know and why? Uh, you know, that's a tough one because it's everybody. How do you judge success? You know, I mean, is a guy that makes a million dollars a year but is never home with his family, is he successful? I don't know. Some people would say he is. I would say no. Um, you know, this is going to sound this is the, I don't know. This is going to sound kind of corny, but um, I think really Jim Mull is the guy that a lot of us in the group look to. Is this is what we want to be? Um, you know, you, you make you make a good living, but you've got time. You spend it with your family. You do what you want to do. To me, that's the package. You know, I, um, there are a lot of people that spend time with their family, but they don't have much money to do anything because they don't really have a good job or they're not employed at all. Well, that's not necessarily good. Um, but I said there are people that make a lot of money, but that's their focus, and the next thing, you know, they, they leave home one day to go to work, and their, you know, their kid's three. It seems like they get home from work, and their kid's graduating high school. They just miss everything, but they're out making money. So I think there's a nice balance in there, and um, to me, it's, you know, Jim Ald is the balance. It's, you, you've, you've got the whole package, and that's, you know, I, I think a lot of us in the, in the group over the years, and we've talked about it, um, that's kind of what we wanted. That's what we want our lives to be. That's cool. Um, what are you passionate about? And by that, I mean, um, you know, we used to ask this at our, at our seminars and stuff. And, um, you know, people say, well, I'm really passionate about helping people or I'm, I'm passionate. About, 
helping people with their final expenses and stuff. But that's not really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, you know, when you're done with work, when you're done helping people, what are you passionate about outside of, of work and, and selling? Wow. What am I passionate about? I, um, I, I think I'm passionate about being able to do what I want to do. Um, if, if my wife, Jennifer, say, if she says, um, hey, uh, let's go to Florida for a week and watch the Cardinals in spring training and, and maybe hang out at Disney World for a day. Let's do that in a month or whatever. Um, my, I'm passionate enough. Uh, okay, let's do that. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make that happen. Or if when I'm done with work, if I, if I want to just um, – sit around the house and, and listen to the Cardinals on the radio or if I want to, you know, go outside and, and listen to the game while I'm grilling steaks or something. That's what I'm passionate about is just to be able to do what I want to do at that moment um, without restriction. You know, just whatever the day brings or whatever I want to plan for and do, I just want to do it. Um, and I, that may be kind of a goofy answer, but it's, I just want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I just want to have the means necessary and the time necessary to make all that happen when I want it to happen. So was the time when you were out in the field and uh, maybe struggling, didn't see a whole lot of people, didn't even get to talk to very many people, and then you hit a home run and kind of home run in the bottom of the ninth, able to hit your goal and be done for the week and, uh, you know, be jacked about it. Can you tell me that story? Oh, gosh. You know, the um, good things come to mind the week, and I've only had one $10,000 week. But I remember that week talking to – I would talk to uh, Darren Holovich from time to time. Um, and we just like, hey, how you doing this week and whatever. And, and that particular week, I think maybe by Wednesday or something or Thursday, I was about 7000 which for me that was about – two or three weeks worth of business. Um, and he's like, hey, you could do 10000 I said, well, I've thought about it. I'd sure like to. And then it turned out I had to go see a lady on Saturday morning because she was leaving for, uh, for California to live with her daughter or do something with her daughter. And I figured out how much of a sale I needed. And it was like a $100 sale or something. I thought, this is my last chance. And who, I mean, you don't make $100 sales very often. But I went to meet this lady and it turned out she was in her 80s, I don't remember, 81, 82 years old or something, and she wanted a certain amount of insurance, and she was actually leaving to, to move to California. And she's like, well, if you can find something around this amount, whatever, I could spend it. Can I take it to California with me? And I'm like, yeah, you. it's good anywhere. Um, so I ended up writing a big enough app, and it got me over 10000 So that was probably um, – I don't even remember what year that was, but that was pretty exciting for me. And uh, I think something else I remember, and Jim brings it up from time to time, the week that my dad died, um, I knew I needed to get my week going, and, and I needed to hit my goal and be done. I had so much stuff going on or whatever, and I did it in like a day, which I had not done. Um, so things like that where you're sort of – you have a goal, and you're sort of backed into a corner, and you're like, how can I make this happen, or will it happen? And you just believe it will. And, it, and in those few instances, it did. So you know, those are two things that come to mind uh, quickly. 
cool. What uh, what was one of your most crazy or bizarre war stories when you just go back into your car and you just shake your head and you, where you can't even believe this business that maybe people live like that or whatever? Um, well, what happened just a couple months ago, I was in a house with I'd never seen so many cockroaches in my life. I mean, we, we all run into them, but it, the, the husband and wife were sitting on a couch and there were no legs on the couch on his side, and there were legs on her side, so the couch is slanted. And I'm sitting in a chair facing them, and all I see, the floor was basically gone. Uh, there was no, no flooring anywhere, and some spots where if you stepped on it, I'm sure you would go through. It was a house. It wasn't a house trail. It was an actual house. And there were so many roaches everywhere that I, I was hoping that they were not interested I almost pushed them to be, yeah, you're, you're probably, yeah, see, I might want to think about this, whatever, and got out of there, which is probably not the way to do it. I'm sure Jim would have made that sale. Tucker, you would have made that sale. I just wanted to get up. Um, so that was sort of an in-the-house thing, and that will happen from time to time. But the story I'll never forget didn't happen in a house. It happened setting appointments. I was, I was, um, in, I just love to set appointments, but I was making appointments that day. And it was going as well as it usually does, which wasn't wasn't that great. And I called this lady, and she just berated me. Just, well, she was just horrible on the phone. I did not send that card in. I don't know what you're trying to pull. I'm going to call the police. This is ridiculous. Don't ever call me again. Just terrible. So I hung up, and I thought, you know what? I'm here trying to help people, and I don't think I deserve to be talked to like that. So I went and got a piece of paper. And I wrote her a letter, and I said, look, enclosed in this letter, you will find the card filled out by you that you say you didn't send, which is why I called you. And I'm just trying to help. Obviously, you have a need for some insurance, so you wouldn't have sent this card in. I'm just trying to do my job. I'm really sorry you were so rude to me, but please don't be this rude to anybody else that tries to call and help you in the future. And I signed it. I put my business card in it. I put the lead card in it, and I mailed it away at the post office. And I'll her about it. Um, I probably shouldn't have done that. That's not the ideal way to teach new agents to do things. Lo and behold, about a week later, my phone rings. Didn't recognize the number, but I answered. And it's her. She said, um, she gave me your name, and she said, do you remember me? And I said, uh, yes, I do. And I, um, I apologize for the letter. And she said, no, 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 you were you were." correct in doing that. I was extremely rude to you. I was having a bad day. I do need to talk to somebody about insurance. Will you come see me? It turned out she was a retired school teacher, and she was going through some things personally, and I just had caught her at the wrong time. Turned out to be a wonderful person. Uh, bought insurance from me, and um, we parted as friends that day, and, and that I will never forget that story as long as I live. That's awesome. Um, one of our one of our uh tools in our bag, if you will, is being able to tell good stories, especially in the home and to uh, kind of get people's emotions involved in things. Uh, I think you're awesome at telling stories. Uh, you've given some speeches at our seminars and stuff like that. Is this something that you've always been good at or did you have to learn to, to be a good storyteller? How did that come about? Well, I've always been... I think being an only child, you, you kind of grew up as a ham. I mean, you, you just kind of want to be the center of attention, which um, looking back on some of the stuff I did when I was younger, I, I would have not 
appreciated it had I been an adult in the room, but I always had to be the center of attention. Even though I'm kind of laid back in certain situations, I want to be front and center. Um, so I've always kind of been like that. And then when I got a, the tape recorder for Christmas one year, that really, um, I went through, gosh, dozens and dozens of cassettes um, back then uh, because I would just talk. I would just take the tape recorder and just go outside and, and we have a, a lovely day today, not a cloud in the sky, although it should be cloudy later on. I think there's a chance of rain tonight. And uh, I would just talk to myself, you know, as, as a young kid into the tape recorder because I just enjoyed that kind of stuff. Um, listening to people on the radio, listening to baseball announcers who could paint the picture of what's going on at the ball game, you know, uh, first baseman, uh, in about 10 feet from the bag, uh, looking for a possible bunt, and the uh, wind's blowing out to right about 10 miles an hour, and, um, you know, a few clouds in the sky. You could, they could paint this picture so you could envision yourself sitting at the stadium, seeing that baseman coming in, seeing the flag blowing out to right, look at the clouds. Um, and I thought, wow, if, if somebody has the ability to do that, where I'm sitting at home and I can see this, that is a skill. That's a wonderful skill that I would love to have. So um, it helped when I got into I did. I broadcast a lot of baseball games. I did some college games, some high school games, and, and actually got a lot of compliments from a lot of people. And, wow, you should, uh, you should pursue this. You should uh, maybe look into some minor league jobs and such. And I would have had to move to do that. And, I, you know, I, you go back and forth on that. But um, I've always kind of been somebody who likes to talk and, and you know, some of my relatives used to say, oh, you'd like to talk to hear yourself talk. That's what you like, which is probably true. Um, but I just like to do that kind of stuff. And then listening to, uh, like, motivational speaker type people, you know, Brian Tracy was always one of my favorites. And then several years ago, I had a chance to go work with him uh, for three days in his office and, and learned a, a lot about how to uh, tell stories, how to give talks to organizations, and, and Jim is so good at that, too. He's, his, he's a natural at it. And you just listen to people who are good and just try to make mental notes about what makes them good. What, um, you know, because it's the old saying is people would rather die than give a speech or something. It's, like, it's the lowest thing on people's list that they would ever want to do. But I've never been like that. I always thought, hey, like, as long as I know what I'm talking about, I feel pretty comfortable like if somebody said, well, go talk about uh, how to make a souffle, well, I, I know nothing about that, so I would, I would not be good at that at all. But if you say, go tell me about um, the history of the St. Louis Cardinals, or go tell me about final expense, or go, go tell me, like, you know, Tucker, you'd be great at doing that with CrossFit, and you've done it already about incorporating CrossFit into sales and such. If you're, if you're passionate about something and you, know, you feel comfortable that you're pretty knowledgeable at least as knowledgeable, if not hopefully more so than your audience, um, I feel really good that I could be of some service to a group, you know, talking to them like that. So, yeah, I've always kind of liked that type of thing. So if you had to give a speech or a TED Talk about, and you couldn't use the topic of final expense or the Cardinals, what would you give your speech on? Uh, that's a great question. If it had to be on... Um, you know, I would probably give a speech on how people could learn to be better speakers and not be afraid to get up in front of an audience because I've done, I've studied that quite a bit too on what 
what makes people good and what how you bring people who are scared to death to talk to people, and you can bring them uh, up to where they can get in front of a group and, and not wet their pants to talk. I think I would talk about about that, how, how anybody could really do that with just certain little tips and tricks and, and, and mind games. And I, I would probably speak on that. Well, Ken, <clears throat> tell me this. Um, you, you are a very, very good public speaker. Um, and, and I agree with Tucker. I've, I've been involved in many of your stories. Um, but I'll take you back, and I know you, I, I bring this up almost every time you and I talk. But as we sat in front of McDonald's uh, in Junction City, Kansas, uh, waiting on a no-show, and I was telling you that you've got to master appointment setting, and you said, I'd rather flip burgers or cook, uh, I'd rather cook French fries at McDonald's than set appointments. How have you been able to fight through that process to pick up phone and those phone calls when you, you enjoy public speaking, you enjoy presenting, you enjoy being the center of attention? Why is it so difficult to pick up that phone and set appointments? I think because when you're on the phone with somebody, you don't know their story and they don't know your story. You don't know what they're doing. You don't, they, they don't know who you are, where you're calling from. And that's why I, I think I just don't – I feel like I'm, I'm coming from a, um, an area of weakness instead of an area of strength. Like when I, go, when I door knock a house, I feel like I can see what's going on in that house. I can see what they're watching. I can see what they're doing. They can see me. We can talk at the door before I come in. I just think it brings it all together. When I'm on the phone with them, I just feel that disconnect. Like they don't know me. They don't trust me. I've got – 15 seconds to try to get them to realize, hey, I'm calling them back for a reason and something they requested. And I just, I've never been uh, very good at that. I've made myself much better in the home. I feel comfortable door knocking. I feel really comfortable sitting, you know, sitting and doing a presentation. But I still, I still don't feel comfortable at all being on the phone with people because I just don't know. I mean, did they just, um, uh, did they just get back from the vet and they had to put their dog down? Did they? Um, are their grandkids there and they're all thrown up because they're sick? You just don't know what you're what you're getting into when you're on the phone. You can't see it, you can't feel it, and um, I just have never really been able to get over that. That's perfect. Thanks. Is there something that you are actively trying to get better at now? Uh, work related. Doesn't matter. Either way. Um, I am trying to. On a personal note, I am trying to get myself to uh, to eat better and be healthier because I do the workouts. I go to CrossFit. I love that. But it's, I'm not seeing the results because I'm one of these guys that I can go to CrossFit and, and work out hard and do a 20-minute wad and, and, and just exhaust myself and feel really good about it. And on the way home, you know, swing through McDonald's and get a cheeseburger. Like, so that makes no sense at all, but yet I do that. Why do I do that? I can't figure that out. So that's something I'm actively working on, and you would think once you reach my age, you would have kind of mastered that by now and been in control of your of your life and your your diet. But I've not quite been able to do that. And then work related, I still work on um, to myself how to be better on the phone. I think I always will be uh, because I'm just not. And I'm, I'm starting to think that I'm never. I mean, not everybody. In fact, very few people are a ten uh, at everything related to business. And I think if I can be a, a, an 8 or a 9 at door knocking and a 9 or a 10 doing presentations, maybe I'll just have to live with myself being a, a 3 or 4 on the phone and, and just 
you know, get, get through uh, my business life like that. Okay, so what goal setting look like uh, for you personally? Something I'd never done until I met Jim, um, which, you know, heck, I was, uh, how old was I when I met Jim? Like around 40. Um, and, I, and I'm sad to say it, it's just never something that I was taught. Um, you know, I don't know that my parents really had goals. They never talked about it. Uh, I mean, their goals were always, you know, to make enough money, to have a little money in the bank, have the house paid for, have the cars paid for, be able to go on vacation once a year. I mean, those were goals back then that weren't really goals, but um, schools don't teach goals. Uh, at least they didn't back then. I wish they would. Uh, so I didn't know anything about goals until I met Jim. And then I started looking up, you know, reading books on and audio books on goals. And, of course, Brian Tracy has a book called Goals, and I've read that several times. And um, So now my goal is, you know, I have I still haven't narrowed it down. I have um, sort of goals floating around, even though I write them down. They, they bounce around. Like, I have a goal of being better at my job personally, but I also have a goal of I'd like to bring more people in because it's such a great opportunity. I'd like to be able to bring more people in and teach them. So I kind of have a goal to do that, um, but I really don't have, I guess, a, a concrete goal of where to start. Do I work on myself first and, and not worry about helping other people do that? I don't know. I'm still not uh, anywhere close to a goal expert. It's been, you know, all these years, and I'm still I'm kind of weak on that, but I'm getting better. Do you have a dream that you've given up on, other than a uh, professional baseball player? <laughs> Are they too late for that, Tucker? <laughs> hey, there's still a chance, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I mean, an aside on that, I what really and birthday bother me. Getting older doesn't bother me; it's part of life. Um, but I think the birthday that or, or the time that really hit me the hardest was when there were no more professional baseball players older than me. You know, even when you're 40, there are guys that are 41, 42, still playing ball. You're like, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, I'm, I'm right in that mix. Not that I ever thought I would. It's just mentally, it's like, hey, you know, we're still, we're, I'm still on that, uh, on that line with them. And then all of a sudden, you get to be 44 and 45, and now all of a sudden, the oldest baseball player in the major leagues is maybe 42. And you're like, well, now it's downhill. Now it's all downhill from there. Um, there's dreams that I've given up on. Um, Oh, gosh, not really. You know, I'm I'm pretty optimistic on stuff that that if it's achievable, if it's doable. I mean, there are people in their 70s and 80s that um, that still still can get things done. You know, we uh, watched a movie a couple, I guess, a month or so ago at the theater about Ray Kroc, and I think he was about 50 or something when he started 52, and he started McDonald's, and Arlen Sanders when he started KFC was was quite a bit older than that. So there's really nothing I've given up on yet. I still think if it's something that I really, 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 really want to do, um, that I could still do it. Do you have a, a favorite failure? And by that, I just mean one where you can look back and say, you know, I really messed that up, but it led to a lesson learned or, or future success somewhere. It was probably failing at uh, those first two insurance jobs because I, I could see that it was something – I could do, and I thought maybe I could do for a long time and, and maybe not be a super but, but at least get the job done and make a living. Um, but I failed at both of those, 
Um, but I'm kind of glad I did because if I would have been a little more successful, I probably would have still been a little bit successful with maybe one of those companies, and I would not be able to the point that I had to start all over with senior insurance solutions. Um, so that was probably a good failure, the fact that I, I did not do that well at those. I, I didn't do poorly enough that I never, ever, ever wanted to do it again, but I didn't do well enough that I would stick it out. You know, when you're sort of mediocre at something and you're on the fence, you're like, well, if I give it up, uh, I'm giving up something maybe I should keep. I really just don't know. Um, but with those, I had failed to the point that I just I had to give it up. I didn't, I didn't give up on the business. I just gave up on, on working for those companies, and that was probably a good a good failure. Do you have a, uh, a biggest or hardest obstacle that you've had to overcome in life? Maybe other than uh, setting appointments, because I know I struggle with that one too. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be there. It's probably um, it's probably the weight loss thing. I, I really I would love you know to and it sounds to people who don't have that issue, um, they're like, well, just just don't eat so much or just go work out more. It's, and, but it's not. If it was that simple, um, there would be no overweight people. And uh, as I go out to work and, and just do other things on a weekly basis, I, I see that there are plenty of overweight people around. So there are a lot of people that struggle with that. Um, so that's something that I really, uh, I just really need at some point before I die to get that under control. Be a good-looking corpse, if nothing else. <laughs> I like awesome. that. <laughs> I've never heard that word. Yeah. Uh, well, I. I think it's funny because uh, people are like, why would you ever want a tattoo? You know, you're going to end up being dead in the ground anyway, and, and that thing's still going to be on your skin. But I guess it kind of goes on the same line, just be a, a good-looking corpse, I guess. But <laughs> I like that. Contentment versus drive. Um, I, I think this is kind of a, a thing that we battle in our business uh, sometimes. And so how do you find that balance in your life? What brings you contentment? Uh, and if you're too content, you don't have the drive to go out and work. Uh, so how does that balance out in your life and in your work week? No, that is a great uh, a great idea to bring up to think about because that was probably one of my biggest uh, problems when I bowled professionally because I did not have the drive that um, that many of the other guys did. I would be, if if I would, everybody's goal, I mean, there are, when you bowl in a tournament, your goal can be I want to win a tournament, or I at least want to, to place in the top so many uh, to, to make money, because, you know, so many people make money and you know, get a check out of it, and then the rest of the field doesn't. So my goal is just, if I could just get to the point where I could get a check that week, where I could make my money back and then maybe a little extra, that's kind of where I was. I just really wanted to get in that in that um, area. Other guys, they wanted to win. I mean, they would they just were driven to win. And I just uh, and my wife is like that. And she would always be, "Why don't you, you know, want to go out and just tear these guys up? You know, just beat them." Like you know, I I'm content just going out and doing my thing and, and getting a little money doing it and enjoying myself and that's. That's what I need. So I struggled with that for, I guess, forever. Um, and I'm more of a contempt person 
than than a drive person. I just if if I can be content, if I can do something well enough to just not to just survive, but to survive um, a little above the mean. Uh, that's really where I'm happiest. I just don't know. Um, I, I wish I had the drive that many people have. Uh, I, I just don't. Okay, so um, if you could go back to your 25-year-old self and give yourself a piece of advice, um, what would you tell yourself and place us, you know, where were you, what were you doing at, at 25? Uh, 25, I was working at uh, that radio station making uh, very little money. But it was, uh, it was a very it was a small radio station. I made some extra money by selling advertising uh, for some of the stuff I did. But um, when I first started there, the guy that owned it was an old guy, been in radio forever, started, he built the station there. And he made a big deal one day. He called me into the office. Um, this is when I first started, so I was, I was just in my really early 20s then. And he made this big deal about, you've been doing such a great job, and you show up. At that point, I think I was on the air seven days a week, either running the board or something, because I was the newest person, and other people would call in sick, and they'd call me, and I'd come in and do it. Um, he's like, you've been doing such a great job, and I know we just can't afford to pay you much, but I think it's time to give you a raise. So on your next paycheck, uh, you'll find that you're getting a nickel an hour raise. So that's kind of when I knew radio wasn't going to pay much, when he made this big production out of a nickel. But um, at, at 25, if what I wish I would have known was how to um, how to deal with finances, how to start putting away, because you, you don't have to make a lot of money to save money and, and to sort of look ahead. Um, you know, you don't have to make $100,000 to be able to save money. Heck, you don't even have to make 40000 to save money if you do it right. That's one thing I would tell myself and force myself to learn is how to deal with finances and how to, how to save and how not to get in as far as you don't need – you don't need a car that you have a car payment. Well, you can go buy a used car um, to, to get the job done and maybe pay cash for it. You, just little things like that. That um, It would all be around finances for me because it took me a long time to learn stuff, and I'd be behind um, where if I would have known this stuff early on, I wish even earlier than 25, um, I, I would have been much better off. I think that's good advice for anybody any age. Um but now let's take it a step further. Um, if you were living your ideal future, you're old and gray and retired, what would you? What advice do you think you would give yourself now? Um, that someday you're going to be old and gray and retired and not able to do what you could have done back then, and you need to probably have a little more urgency in your life as far as um, things you want to get done. Uh, like Brian Tracy always talks about too many people live on someday I'll, someday I'll do this, someday I'll do that, and then the next thing you know, um, it's over. You know, either so many people die die younger or just instantly or just uh, or get some affliction that they just can't do what they used to do. Um, so I would say what I think is just – Enjoy yourself. If you want to go on vacation, if you want to take a week off or two weeks off, or you want to um, you want to go do something that you just maybe 
can't necessarily uh, work into the schedule or can't maybe afford, but you've always wanted to do it, don't say, well, I'm going to wait until the situation is perfect before I move on to do this because the situation is not going to be perfect probably ever. Um, do the stuff you can do while you're healthy enough to do it, while you're young enough to do it. Um, at my age now, I've seen so many people that I've known their whole life, they're older than me, that they work really hard, and they kept saying, man, someday when I retire, I'm going to get an RV, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And the next thing you know, they something happens, they get cancer, they get um, some Parkinson's or something, they can't get out. Maybe they've always wanted to, when they retire, they were going to go camp, or they were going to go climb mountains, or they were going to do something, and when it gets to that point, they're unable to do it, or they're not even here anymore. Um, so I think my older self would tell myself now, uh, don't don't put stuff off, don't procrastinate anything. Don't it, it, don't procrastinate my. Oh, I don't feel like making calls today. I'm going to wait until tomorrow. Do it today. And the same thing with the fun stuff. Don't oh you know when I retire I'm going to get that RV and do it. If you really, really, really are passionate about it, you want to do it, go do it now and work it into your schedule. Don't wait because that, that day may never come. So I think that's what I would tell myself now. I love that. That's awesome. Um, what brought you to CrossFit? How did you um, get involved uh, with doing CrossFit? Uh, well, I heard, um, I guess I heard you guys talking about it. Um, I started, I think my my first on-ramp class was in December of 2013. So I don't know how that correlates with when you got into it. But um, like the lady that uh, that we go to, that's a, or Jennifer's a good friend, and she's a chiropractor, kind of a kinesiologist, actually, um, around here. And, and um, we've gone to her. Her husband, actually, they did CrossFit when they lived in St. Louis. So then they moved out here, and they kind of missed it. Well, he decided he was going to open up a place, and, and he, they started in the basement of their house, actually, back then. And she's like, hey, why don't you guys come try it? He's looking for people just to see if you're interested. And, and I said no. And Jennifer and a friend of hers went, and they're like, oh, come on. You should come with them. Now nah, I don't think that's for me. I really, you know, been one for working out or, or doing any kind of uh, exercise that wasn't on a ball field or something. And then they're like, oh, come on. Just try it. Just try it. So I went. And I hated it. And I said, okay, when the on ramp's over, um, I won't be coming back. I'm not going to be signing up. You guys can do what you want. Well, as it turns out, her, her friend are no longer involved in CrossFit. And three-plus years later, I'm still going. <laughs> That's awesome. What do you, um, what do you think is um, keeping you there? And by that, I guess what, came, what popped out in your story is um, – you didn't want to exercise that wasn't on a ball field. Um, and that's what I find fun about CrossFit is it feels like it's, it's more of a sport. You're hanging out with your friends and you're, you're, you just happen to be working out. Um, I don't know if that, if you have any correlation or, um, agreement with me on that. I do. Yeah. It's a, it becomes a little, you know, like a community. I think every box is like their own little community and you, you just kind of, um, that's, that's part of the fun. And, and it, it seems like, we, you know, we sign up online and stuff, um, pick up the classes we're going to come to. And, like, the same group of people seem to pick the same days and the same times because I get a better schedule. So you really get to know the 
you know, our, our place is just uh, 10 people is kind of the max. I mean, sometimes it'll be 12, he'll let in, but 10 is kind of the max. So you, you kind of get to see the same same six people and then the seven through 10 kind of rotate. But you, you get you get to be friends with the same people, kind of work out with the same people. Um, what I like about it, I'm older than, uh, well, at any given time, I'm the oldest one there by, by a, a fairly significant amount. Um, so I kind of just have to go do my own thing. I mean, I'm not competing against some of these guys that can do the, you know, like you can do the 400 pound, whatever deadlifts with one hand or whatever. <laughs> whatever. So I'm not in the, in the, certainly not anywhere close to that. So I just, um, but I enjoy working with those people and watching them. I'm in awe of some of the stuff they can do. Um, I, I just, yeah, it's fun to hang out and you are kind of part of a, you know, almost like a team. A group when we do coming up doing the CrossFit Games things, um, like what? Like I'm not going to do it this year, but I will be there most of the nights when um, they do just to cheer him on and just take pictures for the for his website or something. Just just to hang out, it's fun. It is like being on a on a ball team or something. So yeah, I think that's what keeps me going. What um, my original question says: What correlations or carryover is there from insurance to? Um, you know, other businesses, but since we've been talking about CrossFit, um, are there any correlations or carryovers from the gym to insurance? Uh, gosh. Um, I don't, I don't really know for me that there are, um, I think I, I enjoy my job more now because I think I, I just feel better from doing CrossFit and it carries over physically uh, it carries over to the job, like you get some of these apartment buildings where you have to walk up three flights of stairs or something, and that doesn't sound like much, but um, uh, before I started CrossFit, I would be a little bit winded by that top floor, and now I'm, I'm not so much. I mean, things like that carry over, but um, otherwise, for me, I, I don't know. I think it's, it, it's kind of a separate thing. We talked about your awesome ability to um, tell stories we also have to ask some kind of touchy questions uh, like social security numbers, bank account information and stuff in the home. Uh, how have you per- perfected this um, ability to ask questions? I think the easiest way to ask questions like that is to just ask them. Just to, like you're asking um, how often do you cut your grass or where'd you go to high school? I mean, just ask them in a conversational way as just part of the job. You don't make it anything special. And I think I'm not really, to my recollection, had a problem with that. Uh, with people, so, oh, I'm not going to give you this, or I'm not going to, I mean, occasionally people say, well, I don't want anybody in my bank account or whatever, uh, where you have to work around that. But as far as Social Security numbers and such, I think, um, I think our brains really work against us sometimes because, uh, like, for instance, if you're sitting there and you're talking to an, an 85-year-old guy who's wanting to buy a $2,500 policy, in, in your, if in your head you're saying, well, heck, if you live a year and a half, you're going to put more into this and you're going to get out of it, and I don't know that I would do that. If I, were. I mean, if that's going through your head, it's going to come out your mouth one way or the other, uh, not necessarily with what you say but how you say it, and they're going to pick up on it. Um, I just think you have to just just do it at your job, you know, social security number, whatever, you just do it in a conversational way and you just, um, you just do it. I, I don't know. I think if you hesitate, like, now I'm, well, so I'll give you an example. I'm getting, getting off on a, on a tangent again. Um, training agents, 
I had probably two or three agents that I trained when it was time to sell uh, a guaranteed issue. I would always say, you know, they're like, well, I've got this and I've got this and I've got this and I've got this. And I, you know, my way to sell guaranteed issue is probably like yours. It's like, believe it or not, I've got a company that is perfect for you. In fact, you couldn't have designed a company for yourself better. They think everybody that wants life insurance should have it no matter what your health is. And it's not that expensive. Uh, and if they're a smoker, you're saying, you know what? They don't even count anything against you if you smoke, believe it or not. So this is a great company. You build it up. And, yeah, it's a two-year wait. You just kind of throw that in. But they see all this stuff through uh, their mail, and it's all two-year wait. So they're kind of they're okay with that. And then train an agent. I've had uh, two or three agents that, that have that comes time to sell them the, the guaranteed issue. They're like, well, unfortunately, due to your health, all I have for you is, I'm like, well, why would you ever, first of all, why would you try to sell something like that? And if you're on the other side, why would you ever buy something if somebody sold it to you like that? So that kind of thing, you just got to um, sell, you got to be positive with everything, and you just got to do your job and not let your brain, maybe it wouldn't be for you, but uh, obviously they're looking for coverage, and if this is all they can get, this is all they can get, so you're doing them a great favor. It's not... Oh, all you can get is this. It should be, this is awesome. So something like that, I think you just, you got to shut your brain off and just do your job. I like that. Um, what's something that you've changed your mind about in the last year or two? Uh, again, work-related or? No, doesn't matter. Everyday life. Something, uh, something I've changed my mind about. Other than CrossFit, because you said you wouldn't come back and here you are still going. <laughs> Yeah, still three plus years later, I'm still doing it. I, and I would have never. That that is the, probably the one thing that surprised me as much as anything has ever surprised me that I am still doing that because I really had a hundred percent intention of when when this on ramp's over, see ya, I'm done. And um, and the fact that I'm still doing it that surprises me. But something I've changed my mind about. Um, gosh, I don't know. I don't know that I have. Really, um, I'm kind of just floating along here, and, and I, you know, I, I'm trying to give you a good answer, but I just, I don't, I would have to make something up because I don't think I really changed my mind in the last couple years uh, of, of, about anything really significant. Okay, um, what's one story that your friends or family tell about you? Um, <laughs> well. My aunt and uncle always tell a story about um, they had two kids, my, my cousins, that would uh, come and they lived, you know, like probably a half or 40 minutes away. And they would come visit us three or four times a year uh, when I lived at home. And I was they older than me, two, three years. I was two years older, one was three years older. So when I was, you know, four, they were six and seven or something. And I always loved being an only child. I would love when people would come over, other kids to play with. That was so much fun. So they all tell the story about um, they were there, I guess it was on a Saturday, and they had spent the day there. And um, I don't know, my mom and dad were probably playing cards with their parents or something, and we were off playing, doing whatever we do. And I didn't want them to leave because I was having so much fun. So I tried to, uh, apparently, and this, they, they tell me it's true, so I guess it is, I tried to flush their shoes and socks down the toilet, thinking if they didn't have their shoes and socks, they could never go home. So 
that was probably the story I hear a lot. Nice. All right. Well, I've got about five more questions or so here. Uh, they're going to be kind of quick draw questions. The answers don't necessarily need to be quick. Uh, but what's one relatively inexpensive experience that you believe everyone should try at least once? Oh, wow. Um, go to Starbucks and get something, uh, get a drink or something. I don't like coffee, but I like all the food, food like the frappuccinos and stuff. Go to Starbucks and buy something and just sit down and watch people. Perfect. Are there any books that you've read multiple times, or is there a book you find yourself gifting often or telling people, oh, my gosh, you got to read blank? Um, there's a book called, I think, I think it's door to door millionaire. And it's about a guy that used to sell, um, just cold call door to door in neighborhoods. They'd move from neighborhood to neighborhood. And I think he would sell different things like, uh, secure thumbs or whatever. And I heard that a couple times, given it away a few times. It, the guy's a little shady on some of the stuff he does, but some of his advice on, Cold calling, and they, these were true cold calls. I mean, there were no lead cards or anything. It was knocking on the door. Hey, I'm in your neighborhood. Um, it's it's some great advice in there of how to break the ice with people, how to notice stuff around the yard, like Jim always talks about. You know, always notice stuff. Like if they've got a bunch of big greens in the yard, you know, they're, they're maybe a, a pretty good chance of a sale or something. Just this guy goes through a lot of that kind of stuff. So. Um, it, it's not a real well-known book, and it's, it's, I don't even know if the guy, heck, the guy might be in prison for the stuff I think he was doing, but uh, it, it's, it's a pretty neat book. for. It helps me to, to door knock and get better at it. Do you have any quotes or sayings or mantras or uh, things that you keep around to as a constant reminder? Really, I mean, one quote that I liked is uh, it was um, uh, the insurance guy, the, the billionaire insurance guy. His name slips my mind. I lived to be about a hundred, and uh, oh man, I can't think of his name. Anyway, his his saying always was, "Do the right thing because it's the right thing to do." And I think in our job, that's um, I, I think about that a lot because there are. Uh, agents that we run into all the time that have, or, you know, we'll get emails about, oh, this company is replacing this policy, and you're thinking, well, this was a policy I sold this guy in 2009, so how in the world is somebody replacing it now, and how does that, I mean, there's agents out there that don't necessarily do the right thing, um, so I, I think do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, and, and maybe you're going to miss out on the sale um, now because you're telling somebody, hey, you've had this for two years and there's a contestability period's over in Illinois. That's a big thing because you can't start it all over again, you know, good conscience unless it's a great deal for them. Um, so sometimes you have to walk away from a sale. Just just say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be rewarded for that somewhere down the road. So just always do the right thing. Sure. Karma karma's a real thing. Um, it is. I, we talked a little bit about your morning rituals. Do you have any evening or before bed rituals that you try to do? Um, you know, I, I don't, not really. I look forward to, like, on days when I work and stuff, trying to be home and spend some time. You know, Jennifer and I will try to sit down and watch a, a TV program or something at night and just kind of talk over the day. Or um, before I go to bed, I generally um, 
let let our dog out in the backyard. And a lot of times I'll go out there with her and, and just kind of stand around in the yard and, and uh, you know, talk to the dog or whatever while she's doing her, her thing and just kind of get ready for bed and just relax. But I, I don't really have uh, routines or rituals. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't read particularly anything or listen to anything or uh, and nothing like that. Um, um, I would say no, I really don't. What are one to two things that people can do in the next week or two that would have a drastic impact in their lives? Hmm. Make a sit down and make a list of what you would like your your life to be like in a year from now, five years from now, and just make a list of those things and then just just start in on them. I mean, if your if your goal is to quit smoking, just um, say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start working on that. If your goal is to lose weight, if your goal is to start exercising, if your goal is to um, up your goal at at work. You know your production goal or whatever. Just write them down so you know what they are, and then just just start working on. Because if you don't, it's going to be next year at this time, and you're going to be in the same position because you know another year has gone by and you haven't done anything about it. So I'd say sit down, make a list, and start. Work so you know get to work. Cool. What would you like for your personal legacy to be? Uh, yeah, that's a tough one to talk about. You know. I think just that um, somebody that, that that treated people fairly, um, that just somebody that can be counted on. If, if somebody need, hey, I need some help. I need you to come over and help me do this at my house or on whatever. Just somebody that can be counted on to be there uh, when when you need them, and, and um, just I don't know, just, just somebody that um, just. Tried to do the right thing, you know, whether or not he did all the time. That that might be debatable, but just somebody that, that was just pretty steady, nothing flashy, and just somebody that was there and willing to help and somebody that could be counted on. Cool. Do you have any uh, recommendations as far as websites or podcasts or books or anything that you want people to check out? Well, I just stumbled across uh, one called One and Done Training not long ago. Um Let's see other websites. Uh, I I don't think so really. Um, I, I jump around on a lot of stuff, but nothing. Yeah, there again, I'd have to really think or, or just kind of make something up. But I I would say now and then uh, later on today, I'd think mention that I should have said this. So I'm I'm going to pass on that question. No problem. That's all I've got for you. Thanks for your time and joining us today. It was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, everybody likes to likes to talk about themselves, so this, this was a great opportunity to do that. Thanks, Tucker. Awesome. We'll uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Ken. Good job. Okay. Take care. See Stop by oneanddonetraining.com. That's the number one, A-N-D-D-O-N-E, training.com. There you'll find our blog, media library, and ongoing training to help with your final expense career. Thanks. We'll see you there. Thank you.